You're listening to episode nine of the Tennis Files podcast with special guest ATP Pro Jason Jung. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mirban Iranshad. Hey guys, welcome to the show today. I'm really excited to bring you yet another uh, really informative episode of the Tennis Files Podcast. Before I mention our guest and go into his background, I just want to uh, give a shout out to Andrew from Perth, Western Australia. Um, I woke up a couple mornings ago uh, to a really nice email from Andrew, and he said that he had just discovered my podcast and website, and he's really enjoying listening and reading uh, my articles. And he said that the content is excellent, and he's looking forward to seeing more great stuff in the future and to keep up the great work. And so it's really emails like these that... Um, really inspire me to do my best for you guys and to bring you guys the best content that I possibly can in my podcasts, articles, and videos. And, uh, I, you know, I really appreciate all the support from everybody. So thank you to everyone, and thank you to Andrew for the nice email. I really appreciate it. So today I am going to be speaking with Jason Jung, uh, Jason is a great player who is currently ranked 245 in the world, and he played college tennis at the University of Michigan, uh, where he was a top player. Uh, his hometown is Torrance, California, and so he's currently on his about fifth year on the tour, and he is grinding out ranking points mainly on the Challengers Tour right now. Uh, he won a futures tournament uh, last year, uh, in the beginning of last year, and since then he's been playing pretty much all challengers and then playing some higher level events as well, uh, trying to get in the main draw of those tournaments. So I just wanted to bring Jason on the show today to get an idea of his experiences playing on the uh, challenger tour and as well as what he has done and is doing right now uh, that helps him become one of the best players uh, in the world. And he also has a really cool blog over at jasonjungtennis.wordpress.com, and I'll have that link on the show notes at tennisfiles.com slash nine. Um, but yeah, it's a really cool blog, and I think you should check it out because he talks about a lot of cool things uh, regarding uh, his experiences on tour, and he has a lot of pictures and and reflective articles on there. So um, I really hope you enjoy and learn a lot from uh, my interview with Jason Jung. And without further ado, here is the interview. So Jason, how did you uh, get your start playing tennis? Uh, I started, uh, well, my dad was a recreational player and he used to take my older brother to the tennis courts and I kind of just tagged along and we grew up at a tennis club, so 
I guess I was always around tennis. Yeah, I mean, it's always great to get that exposure in the beginning, and then uh, it's just uh, amazing to see how much you've grown from that young time of uh, you know of, of playing tennis. And so, what were some of your fond uh, memories uh, of life as a, a young tennis player? Well, growing up at a tennis club, I was able to play with a lot of juniors at the club, and a lot of the adults were were really nice when I was ten years old. A lot of them started playing against me in singles ladders, and um, every Saturday I'd play challenge court, play doubles, and um, there was just always a lot of tennis and competition throughout my younger junior days, and it was just a lot of fun being around at the tennis courts. So would you say you're a really competitive you know, young player? Yeah, I think so. I I was competitive at a young age because I was well. I started playing tournaments since uh, seven or eight, I think, at the club. So it, it was just always around. You know, it's clear that you've uh, in looking at your record, you've been um, you were uh, always at the top of the juniors, like pretty much since you you know from the I guess the tens or twelves on. Um, but what were some obstacles that you faced as a junior that you had to overcome in order to uh, get to the top and stay there? Uh, from the junior standpoint, maybe, well, I was always smaller than every everyone else. I was I didn't grow until probably my senior year in high school, so I was always really small, skinny, and most of the other kids hit a lot harder than I did. So I almost had to develop a way of playing where it would allow me to win. Um, so it was it was kind of like, I think I always played like a chess player. I was always thinking on the court because I wasn't going to overpower my opponent. So I was always thinking out there. Yeah, I can definitely tell from watching some of your matches, like when you beat Taylor Fritz in California, that you know you're just a smart player and you never seem to go for too much and um you know like you said tennis is a chess match and a lot of times when two players are at the same level you know the distinguishing factor is whoever has the optimal strategy right so yeah and so what was in your opinion your biggest win as a junior player i think when i was 16 we had a men's open in southern cal it was one of the bigger men's open in southern cal and and the winner got a wild card into the LA Open, the ATP when they still had it. Wow. And at 16, I, I beat some good, good players along the way, and uh, I was able to win that tournament. So I, I think as a junior, that might have been my, I think it was my biggest tournament win. Wow, that's pretty crazy. I mean, how uh, was the experience when you actually played that professional tournament at 16? Yeah, it was kind of overwhelming at first. I I played Wayne Arthur's first round. Oh wow! And I was still really small, so um, <laughs> he would his kick serve was was quite good. So a lot of times it I couldn't even reach it. It was going over my head. Wow. Yeah. I mean, in doing a really quick Google search, he he was like uh, as high as rank was around forty four. So yeah, that's no joke. Um, yeah, that's pretty cool that you got that experience as a young player. 
And so I guess now shifting kind of to college, what made you decide to go to college and play college tennis as opposed to maybe uh, turning pro? Yeah, so I did have the decision I was thinking about pro or college, and ultimately it came down to my physical structures, like my body was still not as developed, mm-hmm. and I think that that was the biggest reason why I decided to go to college was to develop uh, physically. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a smart decision because you can obviously, um, I mean, especially players as good as you can, you know, get a scholarship basically to go play it for the best universities and play high-level players and then also get, you know, uh, subsidized training and stuff. So I think that's pretty awesome. Um, And so how did you end up choosing uh, uh, Michigan? Uh, Well, I had a couple top choices, uh, UCLA, Virginia, Michigan, and not a lot of people know this, but I actually did sign with Virginia first. Mm-hmm. And I graduated high school a semester early. So I was planning to go in January, but things didn't work out with the coach at Virginia and ended up uh, being kind of recruited again. So like I, I had to mm-hmm. go through the recruiting process twice. Mm-hmm. And since Michigan was one of my top three I ended up choosing Michigan over UCLA. And yeah, so I actually didn't go to college early uh, as I planned to, but it actually worked out okay. I was able to travel a lot for tournaments during my semester off. Yeah, I mean, that that's great, Jason. I think, um, you know, it definitely worked out because you got to um, play number one for, I guess, the majority of your time there and develop your game. And I mean, obviously, you're playing at the highest levels of the game right now. So definitely uh, worked out. But so in particular, how did playing uh, college tennis, I guess, besides the uh, physical development, uh, really help your game? Um, I think it, college tennis, it's just, uh, it puts you in a competitive environment uh there's always you have your teammates and you're always training whether it's on the court or at the gym or on the track and you're constantly the biggest thing was there's always resources around for you to get better so as long as you're willing to put in the work i think um it's a great advantage to be in college. Yeah, for sure. And uh, Jason, yeah, what were a couple of specific uh, things that really helped your game in college? Like, you know, perhaps maybe a specific drill or, you know, some sort of training that you did that you remember that really, you know, helped you uh, persevere and, and become a better player in college? I think maybe playing a lot of doubles mm-hmm. helped with uh, my transition and singles being able to play a lot of doubles meant more returns and more serves more first volleys so it just helps you develop as a singles player as well I think because you see the court differently you're always for me at least I was trying to attack more and come in more so Naturally, if you're serving and volleying in doubles a lot, you're going to look for the volleys in in a singles match. Yeah, I mean, for sure, that's a a great point. I mean, 
you know, obviously I'm nowhere near the level you are, but uh, playing in juniors, like I was always just playing singles. So I was used to just grinding at points. And then when I'd have a short ball, like I wouldn't really know what to do. So um, playing doubles really helps, uh, you know, you develop your volleys, like Jason said, and also, you know, you have to direct your returns much more accurately than in singles. And so doubles will definitely really help your game out. So Jason, uh, you know, for those people who don't quite understand the structure of the pro tour, can you describe for us what the challenger tour is, which is what you primarily have been playing lately? Yeah. So, so challenger tour, most of the guys playing are, well, I mean, some guys who play could be top 50, but usually guys are around 80 to about 300 in the ranks, mm-hmm. which is quite competitive. Everyone's all very close and I think it's very tough to get to that next uh, level for the challenger because it's uh, you get a lot of guys who are very good in the top 200 and sometimes it just depends on if you can get through one or two matches and then run away with the tournament win and that develops your confidence because um, a lot of guys have done that they they can get the win for the tournament and once confidence starts rolling through you're able to beat a lot of the i don't know let's say top 150 guys because i think a lot of our a lot of the level from 80 to 200 is is quite similar it's just the confidence factor mm-hmm. and you know so i i noticed um that you know you've really pr- been cr- progressing uh quite well from uh, your start in 2012 uh you were i guess 1240 and then you you keep moving up uh i guess at the end of 2012 you're on 500 and then now you're up to uh 245 so i guess stepping back what would you say is the difference between the futures level and the challenger tour in terms of i guess you know how the players play um i think the challenger tour guys are more consistent that's for sure Mm mm-hmm and most players have more tools that either got bigger serve or bigger forehand or something that kind of separates them. But I think the biggest thing is probably consistency because a lot of the futures players are talented and have shots, but sometimes they're not as disciplined mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they may, they may go for a shot that, you're not supposed to and that kind of sets you up into a bad position whereas in the challengers you're going to get less of those mm-hmm. and i think with each level futures challengers and atp there's just the guys just make one less mistake so and sometimes that makes all the difference mm. And so again, like looking at your um, the tournaments you've been playing, you know you've started to really well. You have been dominating the futures uh, tournaments uh, so much, though, so that I recognize you haven't been you haven't played one for many months now. So when you decided to um, you know primarily play challengers, is that purely a function of uh, your ranking? Like once you get to a certain ranking level, then you never really play futures. Is that kind of how it works? Yeah, it was. When I stopped, I'm not sure when my last one was, but it was more of uh, 
the ranking because I was getting into challenger main draws. So I wanted to take that next step up and see what I can do against the better players. Um, but also I've been, this is my, this is currently my fifth year on tour Mm -hmm. and I wanted to give myself the best chance and not, and not go back down to futures to try and gain some points or put some more points back on my, uh, I guess, to try and defend points. I wanted to keep playing at the challenger level to see if I really had what it takes to play with the top. Right, for sure. I mean, that makes sense. I mean, I think for anyone out there, you've got to constantly challenge yourself and play, uh, you know, the highest tournaments you can in order to truly see what you need to work on. And also if you can, you know, reach the next level. I mean, that's what it's all about. But yeah, and, and just, I guess, as an aside, like looking at your, the last futures you played was in uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, and, and you won that one. Um, it was back mm-hmm. in, in April. Um, so uh, very late. Congrats on that. Um, <laughs> yeah, no worries. But yeah, so I guess now looking to um, your plans, um, I guess you touched a bit about it, but what do you think you need to improve in your game to start making more main draws in the 250s, 500s, and Grand Slams? Um, I guess besides you know developing like a razor-sharp confidence, as you mentioned. Uh, in terms of my game, I've been developing my serve a lot more, and it's gotten a lot bigger, and I've been able to utilize it as a weapon. And the next step after that would be more of the short balls, not necessarily at the service line, but more like kind of in no, no man's land. Like mm-hmm. a, you hit a big serve and the ball lands in no man's land, and you kind of want to control the point from there. I've had some trouble with that. Uh, not trouble, but I haven't really developed it yet. And I think that's key in, in my own service games to be able to control the point from the first ball. Right. right. And also, I've been working a lot on transition, um, just trying to look for opportunities to be aggressive and come in and, and put it away with the volley. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's definitely tough because... you know at first i guess i'm just saying along my lines too but when you were a like shorter player than the others like your natural game would be more of like a grinder and then to become aggressive and all that it's i guess stepping a bit above what you're used to i mean maybe not for you but for others um but yeah no that's great to hear those things that you need to improve and i'm sure you're going to do that and and uh really crush it soon um but uh you know, for to provide, I guess, some real insight in, uh, for our, our listeners as far as like what they could do. Can you tell us maybe like a couple, uh, you know, pretty basic point patterns that you use that um, that win you a lot of points? I think the most basic one that I've been trying to do recently 
and still have a lot of trouble with is uh, sometimes I change direction too much. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I think it depends on how athletic you are. Because if you, if you take someone like Murray who changes direction, he'll go cross and then line right away. Right. But he can get away with it because he's so athletic and even someone like Djokovic. But if you take someone like Ferrer, he's going to go cross most of the time and set up points that way. So um, like a drill that I've been doing recently is just I'll play with someone else and and they can hit anywhere and I just have to hit cross. Mm-hmm. And it's it's kind of... It seems really easy, but it's it's actually really difficult to be disciplined in staying to go across because um, your instincts are always that you want to change directions. But I think when you stay cross, you you'll be surprised at how many points you can actually win. No, that's that's actually really awesome insight. I appreciate you um you know telling us uh, our listeners about that drill. Um, so I mean, are would you say that, you know, even at the pro level, you can kind of simplify the game and like, you know, predominantly play cross because it's usually easier than changing direction. And also, I mean, obviously like less height, you know, the, you know, the net's lower and all that. Like, is it mostly? Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's awesome. Um, and, uh, you know, something very interesting uh, with Jason, which I love um, and, and really have enjoyed is uh, he has a uh, a blog that he maintains online at jasonjungtennis.wordpress.com, uh, which I have read, and it has a lot of great pictures from uh, him traveling all over the world and grinding out ATP points and, um, you know, a lot of, of his friends and family and people that he meets. Um, but, Jason, uh, does writing uh, a blog uh, about your experiences kind of um, help you become a better player? Uh, I'm not sure. That's a great question. Uh, <laughs> I, I only started the blog cause I wanted to update my friends and family on, on where I was and how I was doing and kind of like what I was going through. And, but after a few years of writing it, I think it's, it's actually been great because I don't know how much longer or how long I will play, but you know, looking back on on these experiences, um, sometimes you forget what you go through, and it's just great to look look back on it. Yeah, I mean, for sure, it's great for you as well as for us. And I think you know, obviously, as you do in the blog, you you reflect on things, and it m- makes you think deeper about certain things. And also, you can even keep it as a log of like how what what happened and what you need to do in the future. And you you wrote a blog about pressure as well. I just want to ask you, um, you know, what in your opinion, what what's the best way to handle uh, to, to handle pressure? Uh, I think pressure. Pressure is a tough one. Uh, everyone handles it differently. And as tennis players, that's something, or even any sports player, that's something that we need to always be better at. But I think just to know that pressure is always going to be there, it's never going to go away. And sometimes it's actually a good thing because it makes us perform 
I think when you have a lot of pressure, it it either makes you or breaks you. It helps you perform your best because you know that you have something to do, you have work to do, and and you have to be at your best. So I think just being aware of, of pressure that it needs to be there is uh, is a big thing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, pressure is a great thing. It means that there's something to work for and accomplish. And um, you know, as you said in your blog post, that you know you just have to take it one match at a time, and that's the best way to go about it. So, Jason, now I've got a lot of fan questions um, that I received because I posted in advance that I'd be interviewing you. So, I'm going to try to get in as many as I can. Um, you know, sure. just yeah. Obviously, Jason is on a strict time schedule. He's a professional, so um, I'll, you know, I'll try my best, guys. But so I guess the first one is from a, uh, a gear fanatic, Chris. He wants to ask if you ever mess with new rackets and or strings during the season. Uh, yes, actually, <laughs> that's a tough one because your last last year uh, I was using, or actually two years ago I was using. I've used Yonex primarily my mm-hmm. whole tennis life and they stopped making this racket that I really like. So I had to find something that was kind of similar, and it actually took me quite a long time, and I ended up switching to a Babolat, and that didn't work out for a few months, and then I switched to a Prince, Jeez. and then I went back to a Yonex. So, yeah, it, it is uh, – Tennis players do switch throughout the season. Um, I mean, you're always trying to tweak uh, your game, and and you want something that you want a racket that actually helps helps your game. Like now, I want a bigger serve, so I've been using a Babolat, uh, which has helped my serve. So, uh, so the answer is yeah. It's <laughs> awesome. And just curious, is um, is it uh, Pure Control Babolat or? Pure drive. Oh, pure drive. Oh man. Plus, yeah, the longer one. Wow, those have a lot of power. That's awesome. Um, and oh, just curious, what uh, strings do you use right now? Right now, I'm using Selenko Tourbite 16 Lite. Oh, very nice. I appreciate yeah. the info. Sweet. Um, now Paul from Virginia wants to ask you, um, what what are your top three best money saving tips you used or learned while being on the tour? Money saving tips. Um, probably staying at hotels. You need to room with another player. Uh, that's that's huge. Mm-hmm. And the other money saving tips. Um, flying flying wise. Uh, I don't know how other players do it, but I, I usually I usually just buy one ways because. Uh, sometimes you don't know your results or where you're going to go and it ends up being more if you have to change change your ticket so i don't know if that's one (laughs) yeah no that's a good one the other thing well with food i i try not to be in be too frugal about that one (laughs) because i think that's important to how your body works in a tournament Exactly. I mean, I was just hoping you wouldn't say another tip would be to eat McDonald's or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so I guess shif- uh, shifting on that uh, point, uh, Rob asked, uh, wanted me to ask you, what's your diet like? 
yeah, so I've I've changed quite a few times. Um, I think two two years ago I went a little crazy in my opinion. I was I was trying to eat less meat or less processed food, and mm-hmm. I was reading ingredients quite um, uh, strictly. I was trying to keep it real clean. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the end, for me, I thought I've I've always been trying to gain weight, mm. and I didn't think it was helping me sustain the energy I needed. Mm. Uh, so about a year ago, I just started eating not whatever, but I started eating. Stop worrying about certain foods that I used to be and started taking in more food. So right now I don't really have a strict diet, but obviously I try not to eat like fried foods or anything like that or soda, anything like that. All right. That's great. I mean, that that sounds pretty reasonable, you know, I mean, and it sounds like more of a sustainable diet than going super strict. Um, And, you know, everyone's different. Not everyone has to go on the Djokovic diet or anything, but, um, you know, so, uh, let's see. And so Jay wanted me to ask you, um, in your entire career, what is one match that, that stands out to you the most, uh, to this day and why? One match. Ooh, (laughs) I'm going to have to probably just recently last year, Mm Mm-hmm. In December, there was a there was a wild card tournament for Aussie Open, and it's only it was only a 16, 16 draw, and only the winner would get a main draw wild card, and that was it. Just the winner, just the winner got the big prize, and mm-hmm. and I got to the finals, and I just remember being, I don't think I've ever felt really that nervous and that pressured ever in my whole tennis career. And, and it was just, uh, it's crazy the amount of nerves I had. And I ended up winning the first set, but by the third set, I started cramping because of my nerves. I was so tense. Wow. I think that was probably the one that stands out the most. I know. I appreciate that. I mean, it's you know, no matter how much we preach to uh, focus on the process and uh, think about strategy. I mean, sometimes it's just can get overwhelming. But um, you know, when you keep doing it and be, keep being in those positions, then it's gonna become easier. Right. So uh, another one for you. Uh, what tournament do you look forward to most each year? There's not a specific tournament, I guess. I. Maybe one of the bigger ones since I've been able to play a few more in the last year. Uh, Indian Wells is always nice. And last year I played French Open for the first time, and that was really special. And hopefully my ranking will be good enough to get in again this year. So hopefully I'll be at the French this year. Yeah, for sure, man. We're all rooting for you. Um, and, you know, you, you did have a pretty good qualifying at Indian Wells. You beat J.P. Smith, who I think is ranked higher than you. And then, um, you know, tough loss against Harrison. But, I mean, he's he beat Chilich recently, and he's been in form. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, 
that's not a bad loss at all. So I guess a couple more for you, and feel free to call me off. You know, obviously, if you have to leave. Doug and Towson Tennis, they want to ask, do you believe more in on-court or off-court training? And uh, like, what's kind of, is it like a 60-40 or like, you know, ratio-wise, like how would you describe on-court versus off-court training? Uh, in terms of tennis, physical or? Um, I both? think you probably, yeah, I guess let's go with both. I yeah. Think. Yeah. Uh, I think 60-40 tennis or on versus off i think um you definitely need to develop the game uh first uh if there's something technical like your forehand that needs work right obviously you want to be technically sound first um i mean obviously exercises and and off-court training all that stuff helps your body move and and be more explosive or more limber but ultimately it comes down to hitting tennis balls so if you've got bad technique on your forehand but you've got great explosiveness it doesn't really work so i'd probably say 60 40 yeah that makes a lot of sense jason tom has a really good question he says uh he asks rather as a player at the highest level of the sport have you ever felt like you you reach your potential uh, at that time, like your, your ceiling? And then if so, what did you do to break through that ceiling to get to the next level? Uh, I think that's why I'm still playing is because I feel like I haven't reached my ceiling yet. I think I'm still improving and getting closer now. So um, when I get to that ceiling i'll answer that question yeah <laughs> good good that sounds good man um and last one uh did, have you ever had a time where you you made the main draw on a singles and doubles uh and this is from pet by the way you've made a singles and doubles main draw and then you've had to decide whether to stay in one or the other or have you you've always just played both uh the only time probably when sometimes at challenger levels you play singles and doubles and there's two consecutive tournaments and you're you've lost in singles and you're still in doubles but you're not in the main draw of the next tournament so you're in the qualifying and Mm. qualifying might start or qualifying starts on a saturday so sometimes you kind of have to decide if you want to play if you want to get to the semifinals or finals with doubles in that first week, or you want to, I guess what they call it is tank and then <laughs> focus on singles and go to the next week to play qualifying. So it's happened to me a few times and I mean, ultimately I want to play singles. So, uh, I ended up choosing singles. Yeah. I mean, it totally makes more sense. Um, and I have seen like a video of a doubles match of, two teams tanking which really looked ridiculous on youtube yeah i, I won't right. name the players but <laughs> probably seen it um yeah. yeah so but you know jason i appreciate your time so much i just want to close with um one more question then we'll get mm-hmm. some of your social information but so for our audience um what would you tell them in your opinion that is the key to improving their tennis game and reaching their potential I think as much as we try not to look at uh, rankings, uh, 
I think that's it kind of sets a benchmark at where you are and from there you can kind of uh, evaluate how you're playing or how you compete against higher players so I think in order to keep improving you need to keep looking at the top players and and kind of see what they're doing and and see if you can incorporate a few things of what they're doing and and put it in your game. So, I mean, they, the top players are obviously doing something right, and it's working. So, I think to improve, I always need to study players that are higher than you. Yeah, that, that's awesome advice. I really appreciate that, and that's exactly what Jason is doing. Um, you know, he's he's competing with the best in the world, and for example, he recently took Usni to a tie break, and um, you know you're just doing really well, and you're consistently getting wins in, in challenger events, and I'm I'm sure you're gonna break through, and uh, be looking forward to watching you play in the the biggest stages. But um, Jason, so where can our audience find you on you know either social media or anywhere online or any support pages or anything like that? Uh. Yeah, so like you said, I had my I have my blog, jasonjungtennis.wordpress.com, and my Twitter is pretty easy, jasonjungtennis. I've got Instagram. Nice. Um, it's J S N J U N G. I've got Facebook, um, just my name, Jason Jung. So um, I'm pretty social media friendly and. I've actually, uh, within the last six months, I've been on this uh, tennis warehouse forum. Right. Um, people ask questions, and and I'll kind of answer if I, if I'm on it, I'll try and answer as best as I can. Sort of like what um, we were doing just now. So, um, pretty social media friendly. So, feel free to message me. Yeah, Jason, we we really appreciate that. I really wish that more pros were more accessible like that. There's not too many, but um, you know, Jason, uh, really appreciate you being on the Tennis Files podcast today, and you know, you're doing really well, rising up the rankings. And we all wish you the best of luck, and um, we'll be we'll be watching you and supporting you. So uh, thanks so much, Jason, for talking with us today. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Jason. Take care. Thanks. I hope you guys learned a lot from listening to my interview with Jason Jung. It's always really awesome to listen to the best players in the world talk about how they got where they are today and what they keep doing to keep themselves at the top of the game. I'd really appreciate it if you guys took a moment to review the Tennis Files podcast on iTunes or on whatever podcast app you use to listen to the show. Um, for iTunes, you can just go to tennisfiles.com slash iTunes in your web browser and then click on the blue view and iTunes button. And then from there, you can click on write a, a review. And that would be very much appreciated. And I just want to read you guys a quote that I found to be pretty motivating. And it's from George Hallis. He said, nobody who ever gave his best regretted it. So by the same token, I just want you guys to always give it your best whenever you're doing something that really matters to you, whether it's your tennis game or other areas in your life. And when you give it your best, when you give it your all, 
then at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, you will have no regrets and you'll accomplish to the maximum of your capabilities. And that's really what is the most satisfying of all. So I just want you guys to keep improving, keep finding ways to be the best that you can be. And I look forward to keep serving you and seeing you on the next episode of the Tennis Files podcast, number 10. And on that episode, we're actually going to be talking with Doug Neagle, who is the head coach of the Towson Women's Tennis Program. And we're going to talk about recruiting, scholarships, and you know the college tennis game. So that's going to be a really interesting episode because we're going to find out you know, the whole recruiting process and giving yourself the best chance of getting a college tennis scholarship. So it's going to be a really informative episode. So I know you won't want to miss that one. That's going to be very interesting. Even if you're past your college age or whatever, uh, it's still going to be cool. And you'll be able to tell your other friends who may have kids who are going to go to college soon what they need to do to give them the best shot of playing on a college team and maybe even getting some money to do that. So I wish you guys all the best. Keep improving your tennis game, and I will see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files Podcast. Take care, guys. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files Podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.